We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2022, the Players Championship, player by player picks and preview the pros, the cons, the odds, what you need to know before you make any bets, before you set your DraftKings lineups, whatever it is that you may be playing. We got it for you today. Rick Gaiman from rickrungood.com is going to be joining me. But before that, I want to encourage you all to smash the like button to the episode. Sub to the Mayo Media Network in the comment section. Give me your biggest fade this week at the high end of the DraftKings pricing or on the betting board. Which guy do you not want a piece of? Is it Rory? Is it Vic? Is it Rump? Is it Morikawa? Because the world is on Morikawa at this point. So you just tell me which one you're fading this week. And if you want to get into a draw for multiple giveaways of 100 bucks cold hard cash, just go subscribe, rate, and review five stars to the Pat Mayo Experience on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave your Twitter handle or email address so I can contact you if you are a winner. That helps more than you know, and I'm willing to bribe you all with cash in order to do that, so please go help us out. Nightly newsletter down in the description. Listener's League for DraftKings down in the description. That's almost full, so go get your spot right now. All stats that you see on the graphics. And hear me reference from FantasyNational.com. FantasyNational.com slash Mayo to get yourself 20% off. You can search anything you want simulator lineup generator ownership projections it's all up there i tried to plow through that because i have rick gaiman on the line with me long time no see hey bud yeah good to see you in the new studio happy to be back on with you i'm glad we were able to connect uh here recently in vegas and i'm happy to reprise 
this insane idea that we once had of going through every single player on the board. And here we are. I don't know how many of these we've done, but seems to be popular and I enjoy doing it. This is, it turned out to be one of the more popular shows that I release every single year. It's like nothing could really ever compete with the Feinberg show that I did betting wise for any of the golf majors. Then we started doing this one. It's like, people love this. It gives, it's about as jam full of info as you can get. So I don't want to waste any more time. We're already two minutes in. Let's get to the biggest name on the board. The betting favorite, John Rahm is over $11,000 on DraftKings. He is 10-1, actually. Now he's 10-1 at DraftKingsSportsBook.com. I've been wavering back and forth on Rom because I have a strong lean on three of the guys above $10,000. Rom is one of them. Uh, he's the best player in the world. He just can't chip or putt the past three tournaments. If he just rectifies that a little bit, I mean, he's progressively gotten better at this tournament every year. He's gained strokes putting each of the past two years since it moved into March. The only thing that you can really say is that, you know, he's a mental midget. And he might have a meltdown on the course, but I don't believe that. That's just a weird narrative that's going on. The only thing that's going to keep him from winning this, or at least finishing in the top three or five, is going to be the flat stick, which normally wasn't a problem until right now. And we know that that is the most volatile aspect of most golfers game. We are literally in uncharted territory with John Rahm losing strokes around the green in five straight. I can pretty much wipe that out. I don't care that much when you look at the ball striking and the tee to green numbers, the putter, it's a concern, but listen, there, there is this rubber band is about to snap back at some point. I don't know if it's this week or if it's in one of these few starts coming up, John Rahm is going to wipe the floor with everybody and win by multiple shots. The metrics are there, even in this historically poor run pass, where we're like, oh my God, uncharted territory. John Rahm's been horrible in the short game. His worst finish is a T21. I mean, the floor is just so high. He's been in optimal lineups even during this stretch. I just, I love John Rahm more this week than I have the last couple of weeks because it feels, it just feels like it's coming. Rory McIlroy is next following his commentary from Bay Hill and a little bit of an implosion on Sunday at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. I had expected Rory based on what we saw on Thursday and all the buzz. Rory's already won this tournament. Turns out you don't win the tournaments on Thursday. You got to play all the other three rounds in order to win this. He's a former winner. That was two times ago, not two years ago, because it was canceled in 2020. And he has missed cuts surrounding that. And, you know, he was pretty vocal about what's going on. But the weird thing is I expected him to be the he or Hovland to be the highest owned of these over 10K guys. And now for, I mean, I know the reasons, but Roy is now going to be the lowest owned of these five guys and I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. He is my biggest fade of these five guys. I'm not going to be using any Rory unless you talk me into it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll give it a crack. I mean, he's in that sandwich pricing, right? You can either go up and spend on John Rahm or you can go down and get Colin Morikawa or Justin Thomas or even Victor Hovland. So it's kind of a bit of an awkward pricing, but the weather that's rolling into Florida this week, wet Florida course just screams Rory McIlroy. He bombs it further than everybody, mostly on the fly. So he should be able to take advantage of that. The only concern that I really have about him at Sawgrass is Sawgrass itself. It's a volatile place. And he kind of bookended that victory with to miss cut. So I, I try not to uh, focus on the more popular golfers, especially over $9,000, which some of the carnage that we've seen at this event over the years. But if a low owned Rory McElroy is something that we get an option for, it's, it's really hard to pass up. 
I, right now, per the fantasynational.com slash mail for that discount, numbers, have them under 10%, which blew my mind, but there's such a groundswell this week, uh, and I'm sure that I've been one who's induced this too, to Colin Morikawa, who's next up. I've bet him to win. I got my odds boosted to 18-1, to 1, feeling good about it. We haven't seen him in a little while since the Genesis when he came in second, when, you know, the ball striking was okay, but the putter was amazing, which is not something that you normally see from Colin Morikawa. However... Are we going to get into a territory where he's like 27% owned? He's by far the highest owned guy. That does make me a bit pensive because just looking back to last year, the four highest owned players in the Millie Maker on DraftKings all missed the cut at Sawgrass. And it's not like they were bad players. They were good players. Yeah, it, this is the only knock against Colin Morikawa is that he's going to be very popular this week, and he probably won't be making a, a majority of, of my lineups just for that reason. You mentioned it, Pat, and I went back and looked at the last five or six years for every event on the PGA Tour, and I looked at how often golfers over $9,000 are missing the cut, and here at the Players' Championship, it's about 24% of the time. It puts it in the upper quarter of carnage rate or carnage miscut, however you want to define that metric. You just see a lot of expensive guys failed to make the weekend and if you're saying that john or uh, rory mcelroy is a third as likely to win this golf tournament as Kyle morikawa is i think we have a problem the odds the odds outright market does not uh, reflect that whatsoever so just because of the ownership and the popularity around Colin morikawa i think in game theory you kind of have to fade the guy maybe he won't end up being as popular as maybe i believe he will maybe it's a lot of internet buzz because when people go to actually fill out their lineups we're looking at not necessarily necessarily 27%. We're looking at 19%. I'm still going to play Morikawa. I'm in on Morikawa. I'm a fade on Rory. And I don't, I'm just trying to figure out if I want Morikawa to be my highest owned guy, because he does like the only knock against him is that everyone else knows that he's a great play. That's it. Like eventually sometimes you have to lean into who the best player is. Now I understand using the theory and using the variance of this course, because anyone can go blow up, but his biggest like, in terms of missing the cut, I feel like he's going to have to have such a poor putting and chipping performance for that to happen. Because of all these guys above $9,000, he's the most accurate. He is the least likely, it would seem, to hit the ball into the water. Yeah, so from 150 yards and in, he is just devastatingly good. That's kind of your scoring categories for this week. And with soft conditions, he's probably going to pile up fairways all week long. So, yes, it is it is truly only a situation in which uh, you're just fading Colin Morikawa, finishing inside the top six, making an eagle, working his way up the 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 DraftKings uh, points board. That's that's the only knock against Colin Morikawa. And I think I can find enough guys that I like from the bottom who were lower owned, or at least in the mid tier that are lower owned, that I can get away with eating the chalk on Morikawa. Probably can't eat the chalk, uh, or just try to come up with a different build, like using Rom and Morikawa in the same lineup, which I do think is possible this week with some of the options in the low sevens and sixes. Yeah, that's the thing. If you are truly stuck on one golfer, that's fine. I don't fade one golfer just because of their ownership necessarily. If you want to play Colin Morikawa, get creative. Leave some money on the table. You've got five other slots that you can kind of take contrarian routes to because when we have this soft pricing at a almost major, right, the Players' Championship, and you get early pricing, it, it, there are very, very common builds. So if you're going to take a guy who is – 
part of a common build don't follow the other five steps along with it so it's it's a it's a combination of six golfers not just one guy that you're trying to get the ownership correct on Justin Thomas has appeared to have his ownership elevated once again. It seems like a lot of people are really fading anyone who played last week, which would have been a huge detriment, really, to the rest of the leaderboard songs, Justin Thomas, a year ago, because it was all the guys that finished high at API ended up doing really well at the Players' Championship as well, because uh, you had Bryson, who ended up winning. Westwood was up there, who came in second. Corey Connors had another nice tournament at the Players' Championship. So when I see Justin Thomas and I see it coming up, no players ever repeated their victory at the Players Championship and I just feel like he ran so hot a year ago with his driver with his putter it wasn't really his driver it was like his five wood or whatever the hell he was hitting off the tee to make sure that he had more control and even then it felt like he got a lot of fortunate breaks in order for it to all come together a year ago that's not a reason to fade Justin Thomas but I do think he is the most volatile maybe that's good for a course like this if he was going to come in around like 10 percent and I don't think that he is I think he's going to be on par with Rom and Morikawa just based on what I'm seeing right now and for me with all three of those guys i'd rather have the other two i agree with your sentiment that he's probably the most volatile i am probably a bit more bullish on him in just a vacuum because jt is always on brand like we know exactly what we're going to get from him he's going to have a great ball striking week the driver is probably going to gain him a stroke or two and we're going to wonder if he loses three with the putter or gains three with the putter if it is the latter he might hoist this trophy for the second consecutive year i do have the same concern that you do around the ownership if this is colin morikawa and Justin Thomas coming in at the same ownership, I'll just take Colin Morikawa. So it's it's kind of a weird situation where the, the industry is shaping this up to be, to price me out of a guy that I actually really like just because of the options around him at similar prices and potentially similar ownership. Let's get to your guy, your best buddy in the whole wide world, Victor Hovland, who is the That's last right. of the $10,000 players. I was out on Vic on Saturday, and then I watched him on Sunday, and I started to think to myself, well, if, he, if this guy ever misses a green in regulation, it's an automatic bogey. But the conditions aren't going to be as tough. And the one thing that I did notice with API is he missed a lot of greens. I mean, he didn't actually miss a lot of greens. When he missed greens, it was because of the firmness of the greens. He was still able to elevate the ball properly, even out of the rough and bad conditions. Throughout the wind, his irons were still on. But he couldn't get the ball to stick on the green in many of those situations. That's not going to be an issue this week. You talked about Rory's high ball flight, that he's going to be able to carry everything. Vic is going to be able to do exactly the same thing, but he's not going to encounter the problems with his irons that he did, which is going to lead to fewer chips, which is just fewer possibilities of making bogeys. He's horrible out of the sand, but you know, just the one thing that you always bet on when you bet on Vic is that you're betting on the upside. He's just going to hit all these greens and regulations, and hopefully you get a good putting week, which is that part of his game is completely turned around. He's been a very good, consistent putter so far in 2022. I'm back in on Vic here. I do worry that if it becomes a struggle bus type tournament with the wind and the weather, and it gets hard, and the winning score is like minus eight minus nine now would that give me a little bit more worries sure but I feel like he is one of the few players with the skill set to overcome that in those bad conditions and still be good anyway yeah Victor will be the first to tell you that is around the green play it needs work and he's still statistically getting better and sometimes it rears its ugly head and and Bay Hill was the kind of perfect situation where both his strengths were magnified his driver and his approach play were phenomenally gained a ton of strokes there uh, and his weaknesses were magnified and playing out of the sand and the short game stuff and losing a little bit of the pace or feel for the greens it, it cost him it was two opposite ends of the spectrum but that's not 
likely to happen again this week in terms of course conditions and the weather that's rolling in. This thing could turn into a track man contest, Pat, where everybody is playing out of the fairway, or at least the guys that are playing out of the fairway are able to pick up their ball, clean it, put it down, and then just fire at receptive greens, whatever number they want to carry. And if that turns into a track man competition, Victor can hit any number in the world that he wants. So much more optimistic this time around, even though he finished runner-up last week, which is kind of crazy despite the troubles that he had on Sunday. We're speaking on a Tuesday afternoon right now. So obviously ownership is going to consolidate more. And when you use places like Fantasy National, the ownership projections are going to be more accurate the closer you get to actual tee-off time once people have generated all their lineups. So right now I'm looking at 7,000 lineups that have been generated at Fantasy National. Victor Hovland appears in 12% of those. That's versus 21% from Morikawa, 19% from Justin Thomas, 19% from John Rahm, and 10%. For McElroy. I've always said that once he learns how to harness his short game, like Vic is basically Rory. Like they have very similar type of games. So why wouldn't I just take cheaper Rory at this event? You're not going to get much of an argument from me there. I mean, outside of the miscut at Phoenix, even going back to kind of the stuff on the DP World Tour, I mean, he's on a phenomenal stretch of golf. He's got multiple victories here in the last couple of months. And even when he's not winning, he's seemingly contending. And hey, it's a tough field. It's a a tough course that will probably uh, get a little bit easier. And in the way that it's going to get easier, it benefits both him and Rory. They are cut from a similar cloth. So yeah, there's there's no no hard sell that you have to put on for me to be right rostering a low-owned Victor Hovland off of a runner-up finish. Into the $9,000 range, you have Pete Dye specialist, Patrick Cantlay, one of the best Pete Dye players going out there. And one of the best players in the world. He just won player of the year. I do expect Cantlay to be relatively popular here. I don't know what to make of him. I was kind of, I kind of like his odds to win more than I like this DraftKings price because I feel like I can do so much more either in the nines by themselves or just fade the nines completely because it's not like he's going to be unowned. Coming in right now around 15% ownership as we speak, he does everything just really well. Uh, If you want to use Cantlay, do you think that Morikawa Cantlay is going to be a very popular lineup creation to begin your lineups? Probably one of the most popular ways to start your lineup, I would imagine. So I, yeah, I think that if you're using an optimizer or you're using the lineup generator at Fantasy National, you probably have to tell them to give, at least put in a rule that you probably don't want Morikawa with Cantlay. If you're concerned about ownership, if you're not and you don't give a shit, who cares? This is all I'll say. You can play those two together. It's fine, but they're going to be popular. We just went through the list of guys that are popular who missed the cut, including Patrick Cantlay a year ago. Yeah, for sure. And um, I love the all-around game on Patrick Cantlay. I love the fact that he's gained strokes off the tee in every event since the match play. The only knock against Cantlay is... His history at this event, which is a couple of miscuts in a row, and also he hasn't really played particularly well at major championships. And some people will turn that into a conversation around Patrick Cantlay not playing well at big events. And I also remember a lot of money being won back-to-back weeks at the BMW Championship (laughs) and the Tour Championship. So I'm not sure how much water that argument carries. Uh, I wish he was lower-owned. I wish that miscut last year was more fresh on people's mind because I'm quite excited about Patrick Cantlay, not only his prospects for this week, but moving forward, he has just really elevated himself into a completely different tier of golfer. So if you're going to play Cantley and you don't want to eat all the chalk with Morikawa with a very common lineup build, I would either suggest starting with Patrick Cantley or pairing him up with Victor, which I don't think is going to be that popular. 
Yeah, that's fine. And there's the the plethora of names that we have in this field. I think we're up to 47 of the top 50 players in the world. And most of them, very, very candidly, Pat, and you know this, we're splitting hairs, especially we're still up above the $9,000 range. None of these guys have a significantly better uh, win equity or however you want to describe it, chance of being in the optimal lineup than another. So this is probably some of the best places that you can pivot because they're all such good golfers and they can all click on a specific week dustin johnson is up next we haven't seen dustin johnson since he missed the cut at riviera did make the cut at tory pines played over in saudi arabia earlier this year too we just haven't seen much of dustin johnson and normally when he spikes at these big events and wins a big one you see the lead in for him. very rarely does dustin johnson come from nowhere and end up winning an event so this price tag is justified he's dustin johnson he's been one of the best five players in terms of strokes gain total at the players championship over the past five years despite never really contending to win any of those years he's just been uber consistent i have no idea where his game is at right now. And I look at the ownership, it's going to be around 6 to 8% more than likely. That's the type of high-end player that you want in your lineup because if he breaks through, your path to the big money is going to be there. I just don't trust him right now. I'm not going to play DJ. I'm with you there as well. I love the high-end upside at low ownership, although I think there's a couple other flyers in this range that might give you something similar to that. It is enticing because this is the lowest price that we have seen on dustin johnson since the 2020 pga championship it has been that long he was nine thousand dollars that week he finished runner-up to colin morikawa but i look at a golfer whose best weapon his driver has been a bit hit or miss over the last couple of months. And the putter is really the thing that carried him for the vast majority of 2021. And even more recently, I'm starting to see concerns about maybe that coming back to earth. So to me, it's just too many, I don't want to call them red flags, Pat. We can call them yellow flags or some color that's not as critical. I, I just have too many concerns. And I look at a tier of golfers that offer me a lot of other flyers at potentially similar ownership. And I'll take the pass here on DJ. That brings us to Xander, who does have a runner-up finish at the Players' Championship in his career, but not really been a great track for him. It does have a cut line, so that means he probably <laughs> is not going to win this event with his wins coming where? At the Olympics, a no-cut event. Eastlake, a no-cut event. A WGC over in China, that was a no-cut event. The Tournament of Champions, that was a no-cut event. He did win the Greenbrier back when that was a tournament, so that's that's helpful, right? He Does, does he have a win in a cut event that currently exists? I think the answer to that is no. The answer would be no to that. That's not a reason to fade Xander Shoffley, obviously, but I just don't love him. I never love Xander, and he's always more popular than even projections really end up telling that I, I would, if I'm going to go into the $9,000 area, I say I like Cantlay. I do like Shoffley. I, I can't talk you out of Shoffley, but you have to start scratching names off your list. And you have Xander and Hideki back-to-back. -back. I like Decky more. Decky's probably going to be more popular, but it could be very similar in terms of ownership. Yeah, for me, this is a like-not-love situation. The, the good news out of Xander is that he is well-rounded, which is what I would really like at a place that ejects a lot of the higher-priced golfers more frequently than other tournaments. I like the well-rounded game because when you get on the wrong side of things in Florida, when you get on the wrong, wrong side of things at, at TPC Sawgrass, the numbers add up very, very quickly. But if you're well-rounded, you kind of can stay generally 
uh, in, in good line, in good shape. So I, I like him, but I agree. I just think that we have proven uh, time and time again that Xander will finish T12 in this event, right? That's the most likely outcome and he'll be fine. But if you're trying to win all the money, you're probably better off taking on more risk for more reward. And you're probably better off finding someone who's not going to be as popular. So he just lives in a very awkward space that makes him hard to plug in uh, plug him in, in in legitimate lineups as someone trying to win the million dollars. Hideki is just below him in the DraftKings pricing, projected to be slightly more popular. I much more fancy Hideki's chances to win this event, a guy who has won three times in the past year, including a major. One of the corollary courses that I looked at at the bottom end in terms of the Sony Open, but another shorter type event uh, that is played on Bermuda. It can get super windy at that event as well. Uh, when, when I Let me run this by you, that when I looked at corollary courses, when I looked at the very highest end of players, I actually looked at TPC Southwind because that's a WGC. It's been that way for the past three years or so. It's a very waterlogged course, and all of the best players in the world who are also in this field all play against each other. So I think it's a nice measuring stick at the top end. And when I started to go look for sleepers, I looked at the American Express, the Pete Dye course there, Heritage, Wyndham, RSM, and the Sony Open. Do you think that tracks at all? Yeah, I like that. I like when you get an opportunity, especially field concerns, right? I mean, it's one thing for course comps. It's another thing for kind of field comps. And when you get the best players in the world together, it's a different vibe. If you've ever been out there, you can feel it. The players know it. There's a lot of money on the line. So I do kind of like taking that approach as well. And if you talk about what Hideki's been up to, Pat, if he wins this week, there's an argument he's the best player in the world. I mean, he'd have four wins, one of them being the Masters and one of them being the players. It, it, the resume would be one that literally any golfer would trade with him on. So are we playing him or not? Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So the, the things that uh, Hideki does well, and in the last 28 rounds, he's third in strokes gain total only Patrick Cantlay and Victor Hovland. If he gets to uh, put his hand on his ball, even if he doesn't, the approach play is a very strongly correlated stat to success at TPC Sawgrass. And the other thing that most people don't realize, um, he is much better around the greens than people give him credit for. Sure, the putter's terrible, but he is actually above average when it comes to getting himself in position to putt. Whether he makes it is a completely different story, but this is a really strong spot for Hideki, and he does not break the bank. Next player up on the list was going to be our good friend, Bryson DeChambeau, but he is no longer playing, meaning Cam Smith is up next. I thought that Cam Smith was going to be uber chalk coming into this week, and I think he's just been out of sight, out of mind for so long at this point that it's really suppressed what his ownership is going to be. I have him around like 11% right now, and I really haven't heard the mullet man being talked about whatsoever in terms of a chance to win this. And we all know what the big detraction is going to be. Is he going to hook it into the water eight times and completely eject and shoot 13 over in one round? I mean, that is a possibility when you don't drive it well like Cameron Smith does not. Can he club down? Can he start hitting fairways? Because if he can find himself a few fairways and just not the water, the rest of his game absolutely can crush this course. He was T21 a year ago. He's won the Sony Open in the past. He has won at a very windy Kapalua earlier this year. He's had nice runs at Heritage in the past. He's no stranger to Pete Dye courses. The irons have been really good. We know we can ride that hot flat. So can he drive the ball well enough to win this tournament? I'm going to say 
Yes. Probably oh, thank you, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I, I I do that's that's the only concern, right? And um wasn't the Sony that he won? And maybe I'm misremembering the crappy year. weather. Wasn't that like a wet, yeah, wet, nasty Sony. And then you mentioned the windy tournament of champions. I like all of that. Maybe I, the longer I talk, I could convince myself that if Cam Smith can play out of the short grass, he's a big-time contender this week. He is on a DraftKings board, uh, awkwardly priced between Hideki and some guys that we're going to talk about that I know are going to be more popular here in just a second. But um, if that's the only question. If you feel he can drive it, and I'm the more I speak, the more I get to that, yeah, he could contend. It's the same thing. I, I kind of feel like it's sort of a mini Justin Thomas situation where – Thomas is obviously a better driver of the ball than Cam Smith, but you have those same concerns with Justin Thomas from time to time. Uh, obviously, Thomas's irons are much better. He's, I mean, they're probably equal around the green in terms of the magic that they can produce, but I actually trust Cam Smith to make some putts from time to time. Oh, yeah, he can get that hotter, uh, uh, that hotter, that, that hot? putter quite, that putter quite hot at times while JT is mostly just uh, scratching his head with the flat stick. So, yes, I think he is not nearly as good off the tee, not nearly as good on his iron play, but the rest of the game, super sharp, and he can pile them up. That's that's exciting, too. Um, having an opportunity for streaks, having an opportunity to maybe he makes an eagle. I, I think there are paths for him. Uh, also outperforming his finishing position with fantasy points. Scotty Scheffler is $9,200, winner of two of the past three events he has played in. Obviously, he won last week in very difficult conditions at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. It doesn't seem like there's ownership following him to this week, though, which is strange. Yeah, a little bit surprised by that. I, I guess most people think that he can't win three times in four starts, which is probably unlikely. But at the same time, Pat, remember this pricing came out, what, Saturday? We did not know the outcome of the Arnold Palmer Invitational yet. If this pricing came out Monday like it normally would, is Scotty Scheffler is is what price instead of $9,200? Probably 10000 on the dot. He's, he's above Patrick Cantlay, you'd have to think. Right. So you're getting, even if you're not as super high on Scotty Scheffler, you're probably getting $800 worth of built-in value. And I got to I gotta tell you, Pat, and I know the storyline's been talked about quite a bit, having Ted Scott on his bag has been just a, a key that has unlocked a lot of different stuff. And we are going to get a stretch of golf from Scotty Scheffler where he gets to go to the match play, a place that he's played very well. He's going to get to Augusta National with Ted Scott on his bag, former caddy for Bubba Watson. He's going to go to Texas and play those events. Like, the next whatever X number of weeks for Scotty Scheffler are going to be really, really exciting. I don't know if he goes out and wins the Players' Championship after immediately winning the, the API, but I've got to be incredibly bullish on Scotty moving forward. It's funny. I was so ready to play Scheffler coming into the week. I liked him at API, too. He was my highest-owned guy above $10,000, and that really worked out. Translated into some nice gish on the old DraftKings. But I just assumed when this price came out after he won, it's like, oh, there's your highest-owned guy, and just that doesn't seem to be the case at all. So I'm just sticking with Scotty here. Why not stick with him for as well as he's playing right now? And we just saw that if things get difficult, yeah, he might miss a bunch of five-foot putts. That's always in the cards with Scotty Scheffler. But he's going to make enough, like, 41-footers to kind of even it out, doesn't he? Yeah, a very streaky golfer. Uh, we saw that in the 59. We've seen it countless times through throughout his career. He can get going and he can hold his breath. When he makes a couple of birdies, he's not afraid to go even lower than that. And I love that he's aggressive with the driver. This week with wet conditions, if he's stuck in wet rough, that might be an issue a lot of times. But he is so aggressive that he can kind of go on these six or eight or nine hole runs at times. And it's valuable for fantasy scoring. And once he gets hot, he works himself back into the golf tournament. He's very 
exciting. Maybe maybe the pricing came out too early and people were too aware and the 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 life cycle of this pricing has lasted a little bit longer and they've just moved on from Scotty. It's kind of strange. I can see it. Now for the lowest owned guy at $9,000 even. Jordan Spieth, who came out guns a-blazing in his Players' Championship debut in his career, ended up in second place in his first ever appearance at this tournament. He has since not been very good. He has a best finish of T41 in 2018 with four missed cuts. Did light it up ball striking a year ago. 1.5 off the tee, 6.2 with approach. Lost four and a half strokes around the green. Lost two on the green. But last year, this was in the middle of the Jordan Spieth resurgence, and he was playing some great golf coming in. He is playing better golf at the moment, but it's nowhere near where he was a year ago, and he still couldn't even do it a year ago. So a hard pass, but for the game theory people out here, like this has to be the guy you're circling, isn't it? Yeah, so this is when I was talking about Dustin Johnson and I was alluding to maybe some other low-owned flyers. Jordan Jordan Spieth was the name that I was thinking of. And you're right. He's not in summer Spieth mode where he was gaining multiple strokes on approach every single week. But after you know six or seven events of struggling at the end of 2021 and into 2022, starting to figure out that approach play. He's hit a, basically a zero, if not a small positive, off the tee. And we know that short game magic still lives in there somewhere. But I'm more interested in the ball striking numbers and we're seeing a little bit of an early tail on those turning back around so yes this this is the guy with the unreal upside the unreal downside he could i would not be surprised by any outcome for jordan speed this week and at low ownership i prefer that he is the flyer that i take in the nine thousand dollar range i don't think that you need to go to speed if you don't want to just based on ownership because even last year when we saw bryson and thomas near the top of the leaderboard they weren't five percent owned guys they were like 16 and 13 percent and you can find those guys in the like cameron smith is going to be 11 percent. i'd much rather play Cameron Smith then play Jordan Spieth and there's probably gonna be like a four percent difference in them yeah as as these ownership numbers kind of get more mature and the closer we get to Wednesday I do think that Spieth is mostly dictated by whatever his ownership is and the ownership of guys that are around him if you're talking about fractions I lean more towards Spieth if you're talking about the example with Cam Smith where it's a couple of points it would be harder to get to Jordan Spieth so we're gonna have to kind of draw a line in the sand and um, just kind of back the math at some point Will Zalatoris kicks off the $8,000 range at $8,900. And listen, he scored well at the Arnold Palmer Invitational for DraftKings scoring. The result, not necessarily where us outright betters wanted to be. However, he is still fourth tee to green over the past 24 rounds of any player in this field. Second in ball striking, third in approach, 16th off the tee. He actually hits fairways when he wants to as well. He was T21 in his debut at this tournament a year ago. I think that people have soured on him because all they think that he does is miss two-foot putts. Although, a lot like Scotty Scheffler, very good from 50 feet from the hole, not the greatest within a three-foot circle. Yeah, I have. This is probably the highest I've ever been on Zalatoris because I'm also sensing the same thing, Pat. I'm sensing that there's so many great options and there's concerns around the putter, but Zalatoris is cut from the same cloth that Justin Thomas is the elite ball striking and the questions with the putter. And there's been a few kind of through lines of TPC uh, history, at least especially since going back to March that, you know, poor putting can kind of be negated a bit on these March greens. And there's also an opportunity to look at the stats around um, a lot of winners or a lot of success coming from the par fives. And uh, he's been phenomenal on the fives in the, in the 16 
holes that he's played at TPC Sawgrass, the 16 par fives. I am quite bullish on Zalatoris here, and I love that others are uh, choosing to overlook him and choosing to go in a different direction. Well, the direction that they're going into is going to be the guy right below him. Daniel, how's your burger? He is expected to be the highest owned player of anyone in the $8,000 range. Obviously, he gagged it away at the Honda Classic a few weeks ago, but almost like Morikawa, he is the only one of these very top-end players above $8,500 who ranks inside the top 12 in fairways gained over the past 50 rounds. He's won twice at TPC, TPC Southwind. He's played very well at some of these Pete Dye courses, at waterlog courses throughout the course of his career. He even turned the putter around a little bit before Sunday at P PGA National. We know we can play in difficult conditions. That hasn't been a problem for him over the years. Just look at his U.S. Open track record. His track record in difficult events has been really good. There is a weird juxtaposition, though, between how he has played at par 70 courses and par 72 courses. And I know that shouldn't matter, but like if you sort by par 70, he's like the best player in the field. You sort by par 72, he's like the 51st best player in the field. Can you explain that to me at all? Burger must not subscribe to the fact that par is just a social <laughs> construct. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a good reason for that, but you do point out a couple of really um, interesting things that I don't think people have realized. You know, the last year, Daniel Berger is very clearly a top 10 golfer in the world, and he's doing it in a way that's super sustainable with the ball striking. He also does it in a way that's almost like a Xander Shoffley light where he is just well-rounded in all four categories. He's got the top 10 upside. Sure. He gags one away happens a a lot on the PGA tour, but he continues to put himself in really uh, high end leverage contention positions on a near weekly basis across regular events, across WGCs, across uh, major championships. There is really nothing that you don't like about Berger. So this projected ownership, very, very high is well-deserved. Are you going to be eating that high ownership if he ends up as one of the top five owned players in the Millie maker? So I, it's strange because I really love Will Zalatoris. So maybe there's an opportunity to get kind of both of those guys into the same lineup, but I would rather eat this chalk lower where I think there is more inherent edges and differences between Berger and Tony Finau, who's only a couple hundred dollars cheaper than there is at the top where I think a lot of those guys are very, very similar. So um, I will more likely eat the chalk here with Berger than I would higher than him. In his past five starts, the Players' Championship Burger has two top 10 finishes and has not missed any cuts. If you're looking to sneak three people through the cut line, I would try to stick to as many fairway finders as possible. They might not have the highest upside in terms of actually winning this event, but they'll probably sneak you through to the weekend and you just hope they don't shoot like 85 like their name is Russell Knox. Uh, yeah, you know just as well as I do, Pat, that the PGA Tour loves themselves some preferred lies. And if it is wet and these guys are getting to pick up their ball, clean it, and put it down, it is a huge edge. And playing out of the fairway becomes even more critical. And those guys, I think, have a significant edge. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye out for that. But it uh, looks like it's going to be wet, and the PGA Tour loves to implement that. I was surprised to see that Louis Oosthuizen is tracking to be below 10% in terms of overall ownership. Yes, he is the most undercursed player of the week, poor Louie, coming off a week where he still made a ton of birdies at the Honda Classic. He's made a ton of bogeys at the same time, which is pretty atypical for Louie. You always think of him as one of the better bogey avoidance players on the PGA Tour. He ranks 28th in that category over the past 36 rounds, where someone like Zalatoris ranks 5th, Daniel Berger ranks 8th. You just think, uh, based off the strength of his putter, that Louie would be able to do it. Is he overpriced at 8700 bucks? Oh boy, I don't think so i'm i'm quite neutral on louis i 
can see the points. I that means you, that, that means you that means you are not playing Louis if you're just neutral on him. Correct. Yes, he will not be. He, there's there's too many other guys, but I don't think there's a reason to certainly knock him. You mentioned the birdies. I believe it's easier for guys like Louis Ustazen to clean up the big numbers than to start making more birdies. And we know when the best players in the world get together, Louis finds a way to get himself to the top of the leaderboard. But with the pricing and with the guys around him and my lack of passion for Louis, he probably will not have a significant level of uh, exposure in my portfolio. The last time that there was detrimental weather at the Players' Championship, Louis found himself in the final group that day before losing to friend of the show, best friend to all, see, woo Kim. And Ian Poulter ended up coming in second. I think Louis still finished inside the top 10 that year, but he really got wiped out by the bad conditions. But we've seen him play well in poor conditions before. I'm going to end up fading him in this spot because I look one spot below him, and there's Brooks. I'm not sure I want to use Brooks on DraftKings. I have bet Brooks with the top eight each way at 50 to one to win this event because I think the rumors of him like being awful have been hugely overblown by the media. Well, uh, yeah, I'm probably partially to, to blame for that, but there are certainly uh, breadcrumbs here, and I do much prefer betting him outright than taking on the risk in a DraftKings lineup, but the breadcrumbs are the the two ball striking weeks in Phoenix and at the Honda Classic, and you look at his history around TPC Sawgrass, and you realize in five trips, he's never lost strokes with the putter. You put those two things together, you get very, very excited. The stretch of golf that we've seen from Brooks in the last year, Pat, it's hard to differentiate what is just strictly Strictly poor golf versus what is randomness versus what is injury related and inability to practice versus what is the full switch to Strixon and getting used to that. There's just a lot of variables to Brooks right now. I think it's awesome for the outright market. I'm a little less bullish uh, entering him into my DraftKings lineups. I was very excited to use him in my DraftKings lineup because when I spoke with Tambo and Raza on Saturday, it really seemed like Brooks was going to be... I don't know, like 5% owned, 6% owned. And it's like, oh, this is the easiest play of all time. Now, because so many people bet him at that 50 to 1 number that they either got a DraftKings Sportsbook or wherever it was, that's now filtering over into the DraftKings play as well. And I'm seeing his ownership up around 13, 14%. It's not prohibitive. Doesn't mean you can't play him. But I do feel that a chalkier Brooks Kepka becomes a worse play in your lineups because you look one step below. And I know he has not been good, although you talk about breadcrumbs Finau is going to be like three percent owned after being I think the highest owned guy in this tournament last year Ooh, yeah that's probably true he's usually pretty popular at these uh soft pricing events so so what are the breadcrumbs around Tony Finau I imagine it's the fact that he's gained strokes on approach dating back to his win at the Northern Trust and the Tita Green play's been fine that's the breadcrumb right that is and just even looking at a round by round basis like you see these spike rounds from him so like 3.5 strokes gained on approach the last time he actually was out on the course at the genesis four strokes ball striking in that round uh every round at the genesis he gained strokes on approach in phoenix uh, he had a bad day one then rebounded 1.5 strokes gained on approach he's just very inconsistent at the moment the driver has been really inconsistent which does not play well at sawgrass because you're going to find yourself in the water but if we're talking about like game theory and all these low-owned guys we've talked about so far like Dustin eh, Spieth I don't want to play I don't love Finau I don't have good vibes surrounding Finau but sub five percent like that's your path right there 
the game theory is hard to argue with. The rest of it, I'm a little bit more concerned. He's 194th this year in driving accuracy. That is not a stat I usually get to, but when you start talking about wet rough, a potential for, 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 for preferred lies, and there's probably only 210 golfers that qualify, that is darn near the bottom and he has pat he's he's lost the putter the, the putter is it's gone uh it's been gone for a while there are little signs that it's coming back anytime soon so i i just have quite a few concerns over tony Fina. players championship throughout the years he did gain on the field in 2019 in terms of accuracy and this loss in each of his other four years his best finish at this tournament is t22 that was in 2019 the year that rory McIlroy ended up winning i don't love it but when i just scroll through the ownership he's such such a huge outlier right there like louis pretty low and Finau is like a third of what louis is <laughs> Yeah, I, I see the same thing, and it's it's certainly enticing. And for a sickos like me who who love the punishment and are you know usually ejected on a Thursday morning, I see that, and I see a path to victory, right? Because at 3% or whatever he's going to end up being, he doesn't have to win the golf tournament, and Finau is still capable of making an eagle and coughing it up with two bogeys nearly immediately. But that's better for your fantasy lineups than it is for his position on the leaderboard. So there are little cases to be made for the guy i'm thinking i haven't decided yet whether i'm gonna have i mean you probably only need you know you play 10 lineups he's in one you're more than double the field at this point and we know that there is Finau upside lurking there can he get back together i mean he's played well at some of these die courses in the past he's almost won the american express a few times at this point and when they actually played the three rounds there he had a tremendous sunday siwu just had a better sunday than he did as he was trying to track it down scheffler also uh, in the mix up at that year too along with answer and Cantley, I believe. Neiman is next on the list. I think that Neiman's going to be popular, but I could be wrong about that because I legitimately have not heard his name said once all week amongst anyone. No one's betting him at 50 to 1. I prefer him at the Masters versus this tournament. Ooh, this is kind of a tough one for him. We've seen him hit some wayward shots, so I'm probably... Yeah, more bullish on most, but I'm not super excited about it because nobody's talking about him. So I guess anything I say is probably more <laughs> bullish than most. But the fact that he you know misses the cut after a breakthrough career victory, I don't care one single bit about. He showed us the upside at Riviera by going out and nearly barnstorming this thing uh, and going wire to wire. But this this I think is a much worse place for him. You know, Riviera when you get into trouble, it is death by a thousand paper cuts it's kind of a lot of just bogeys that you can make here you make doubles here you make triples it's lurking out there and if he's just a little bit off a lot of that stuff comes into play next we have sung J M, who right now projects to be right around the same as neiman we talk about fairways we know sung is going to hit fairways we talk about windy conditions like at the course that we just played uh Two weeks ago, TPC Summerlin, even when Sung Jae won that year, it was a little bit windy out there. Not quite as windy as the day that we played, because I still have a fucking no. windburn on my face from the day that we went out there. But hey, we're doing okay. He won a very difficult event at the Honda Classic at like minus four, minus six, whatever it was, in very windy, difficult conditions. There's no real case I can make against Sung Jae other than the fact that I don't think that he's going to win. And I mean, I don't know anything, so that's a bad case. 
yeah, there's not a great case for Sung Jay. There's also not a great case against Sung Jay. He's been phenomenal off the tee. You love to see that. The approach play has popped, which I guess you could argue in a Millie Maker type situation is at least exciting because if you catch the ceiling weak, that's probably very good for you. Uh, I do love that he has a, a spectrum of winning upside across winning scores. You mentioned it. Summerlin was something outrageous, 25 under par, and then he wins the Honda Classic which is just a couple under par. So there's a lot of different ways that he can get towards the top of the leaderboard, but I'm, again, very neutral, and I don't love playing guys I'm very neutral on. I like him the best of the other players in this range. Like, I like Berger, I like Zalatoris. Brooks, we'll try to figure that one out. I like him better than Finau, I like him better than Neiman, and I like him better than the next guy who's going to be a lot more popular. And that's going to be Adam Scott, who is playing some really good golf right now. I do worry about his driver, though. That's the one thing. It's almost like in the Cam Smith territory. It's just he hits it so much farther. Although Cam Smith has been adding distance, that when it comes down to it, unless Adam Scott is clubbing down, I can see him being in the water. I worry about the driver, 179th in driving accuracy. I worry that he's been a bit reliant on the putter, although he's putted very well. He's got that spaceship type looking thing <laughs> that he's brooming around out there. I do also worry that, um, you know, he pretty much hemorrhaged strokes on approach the final three rounds at Bay Hill. You put it all together and I will not have much of Adam Scott this week. There's just too many other guys in this price range that I'm more excited about that I can see the advanced metrics lending themselves a little bit better to. Scott's not going to make the cut for me. Billy Horschel is pushing just over 10% ownership on a great run. Obviously could not cash me an outright winning ticket at Bay Hill. I blame the course conditions, not Billy Horschel. So he likes to sneak up on the putt. Maybe that just scares the ball from not going into the hole who knows i do not like him at this course however boy billy's range of outcomes is probably the largest of any of these guys in this range right because he is such a streak by nature he's such a streaky golfer we're, we're in one of those streaks right now where he's gained strokes on approach he gains nearly five at api over five at the honda classic the putter's been great he's driving it well but we don't always see these stretches for billy last very long and i don't know if he's got one more week in him and this is arguably Maybe one of the worst courses for him in the stretch. Honda was probably a little bit worse, but it, this is this to me, I think, is a really tough ask for Billy Horschel to continue this streak, continue to ball strike it the way that he has been. He would need probably a lightning hot putter to really make a lot of noise at this event. He's had a lightning hot putter at this event in the past. Seven strokes gained in 2019, came 26th. Gained five the year before, T37. Gained over four in 2015, 13th. That's his best ever performance performance at the Players' Championship. Gained over four the year before that, came in 26th. He doesn't normally miss the cut here, but the high-end finishes are just nowhere to be seen. Yeah, you're just kind of hoping he marries somehow that recent ball striking and the historic course putting. Maybe it's possible. I don't know. I just feel like this range of outcomes here uh, for Billy is, is so massive, but if that's what you're looking for, hey, Hat tip to Billy. Hopefully he goes out and wins for you. Shane Lowry is going to be slightly more owned, it would appear. And I think the weather is really pushing that narrative over everything. Although we just watched him in the rain not be able to make a birdie. So why would you want to play Shane Lowry? 
I watched him melt, Pat. It's not even that he couldn't. It was it was so shocking that he literally sprinted out from under his umbrella on 17 or 16 or whatever it was, quick hit his shot, abandoned his entire pre-shot routine, uh, did basically the same thing on 18 and kind of complained that the weather stole the, stole the tournament away from him. I love Shea Lowry in this spot. I wish I had not seen the way he acted in the rain two weeks ago. What do you want to do with a 15% own Shane Lowry? Um, well, there's a couple of guys. Well, I, I think it's fine because there's a couple of guys that I really like coming up in the high sevens, but I, I mean, there's going to be one that's, that's really popular. And I probably prefer Lowry uh, over Horschel and Adam Scott. So I, I think, I think I'm generally okay with it. I like Lowry more than Scott and Horschel as well. I like him more than Neiman. I like him more than Louie. I like him more than Finau, but we're not having the same conversation about Finau. That's an, a pure ownership conversation and trying to find a wedge point in the ownership to find that one guy who can break through. So I don't think that those things really relate all that much because Lowry's going to be five times his own. Objectively, I prefer Shane Lowry over Tony Finau this week. So realistically, like if you had priced him at $8,600, I would have no problem playing him at $8,600. So maybe I should just not be stupid and play him at Eight thousand. I think not being stupid is generally a good strategy, Pat. I agree. I try that though, and I don't do well at this tournament <laughs> ever. But I will be playing Sam Burns, who is up next. I'm thinking about betting Sam Burns to win as well. Yeah, so there's a lot on Sam Burns here. So I'm I'm I've been a huge fan of this guy and the trajectory that he's been on for the last 12 or 18 months, and he really got off to a hard start in 2022. But what you saw at Bay Hill was much closer to the version of Sam Burns that everybody was excited about at the end of 2021 and and last summer. And you can look at I think he's played here once and he lost like nine or eleven strokes, something devastatingly ugly. But there's an argument to be made. He's a much better golfer now and we know the volatility of this event. I'm with you, Pat. I have not placed an outright on Sam Burns, but this is a guy I, I remain incredibly bullish on, someone that I think can contend at big-time events, whether if the course is hard or easy. The way that he plays, the traits that he has, it's, it's that of the modern golfer. I think Sam Burns is in a really good spot moving forward. Can he drive it well enough? And his big drawback, or at least recently, even including the swing season when he was amazing, was his inability to score, or at least tread water on those longer par fours. And those are all the hardest holes on this course. Yeah, he is, even with that poor stretch to start the year, I mean, he's still top 40 or 50 in accuracy, so I assume he's going to play out of the short grass more often than uh, most and more often than many of his peers. So, yes, that is a concern, and I love when the way he hits his wedges as opposed to having to hit, like, four iron into some of these greens, but there is there's certainly a path to victory uh, for Sam Burns that is wider than a lot of these other guys priced yeah. here. 12th in bogey avoidance over the past 36 rounds as well. I love him, and he's coming in sub-10% ownership, which is really nice, as is the next guy, Daryl Atten, who found his way just near the top of the leaderboard again at Bay Hill. This has not been a great course for him, though. It's, it's not, and I always worry when you get a guy that, you know, he's played fine, right? And he's been better on the on the DP World Tour, but you try to start to do the math and figure out how that relates to the PGA Tour. And then he pops and has a great week kind of out of nowhere at a course he's won at before. And you're like, oh man, is that just fool's gold because he's got uh, something good in his eye when he gets to Bay Hill? Or is he actually playing better? Combine that with the history around TPC Sawgrass and what we've got at Sam Burns right there as well. I will be taking the pass on Terrell Hatton. The, the problem here is, 
And you can almost make the same case for Rom too, that maybe the most emotional players in the field aren't the greatest at the Players' Championship because Pete Dye is just trying to mess with your mind the entire time. And then you can make some very bad decisions. But how many times throughout the course of watching Hatton, who I think has been really good this year, obviously he was good last week, and even over during the Middle East swing, he had two top 15s over there as well. So the, the play has been there in 2022. And I think on paper, you look at this tournament and you would think this one sets up for him really well, but... I don't know. This much water, I, I, I've i seen just him get upset too many times recently on approach shots. Like, when he misses, he misses bad. And I don't necessarily lump him into the grinder category, which is once he puts one in the water, he's like, okay, I'll get that back. Let me figure <laughs> something. It's like, no, two more are going in right after that. Because <laughs> we even saw it, um, what was it, two years ago, not this year, last year, about a year ago at the Honda Classic. I think he led everyone tee to green, yet he couldn't make the putt that week. And it was just kind of blowing my mind. Maybe it was at the API. I forget which one it was, but it kind of happened to him early. Is that he put one in the water and then he like four putted a hole and that was just the end of Hatton. He kept trying to rally back, but just couldn't get there. He is going to have severely low ownership, however, because Matthew Fitzpatrick is next in the pricing, $100 cheaper. I would expect him to be doubly as owned as Tyrrell Hatton. Yeah, and I get it, right? I mean, there's an argument to be made that Matt Fitzpatrick's the most mispriced guy on the slate. He's $7,700. He piles up top 10s. He had a top 10 here last year. You look through the results at places that he's played well. A lot of them are when the world's best get together. If you want to start talking about hitting fairways or you want to start talking about wind or rain or whatever, it seems like any conversation ends up being a positive for Matt Fitzpatrick. So this is unfortunate because it's really hard to roster a guy who is pushing who knows what number he's going to be pushing in terms of of ownership but uh that that price is wrong pat i don't think he's the most mispriced player in there. i think you'd lose it you brought that case to court i think you're losing that case who's 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 exhibit a for the other most mispriced guy i mean you could make a very compelling case that taylor gooch is the most mispriced guy i do love taylor gooch scotty uh, scheffler might be the most mispriced guy because of the victory but but but, sure. that, but but that's the world we live in we don't live in some alternate yes. reality where he no. didn't win no i will i okay i amend it saying uh matt fitzpatrick could be argued as one of the most mispriced golfers on the slate i would take that and give you a guilty verdict i guess <laughs> you win the case whatever side you were trying to argue with whether you were the plaintiff or the defendant we'll ask judge judy a little bit later on and she can clear this all up for us i think i'm going to end up fading him there is something with wind yes water wet conditions and i know that they have the contraptions underneath the greens that they're never going to get uh so firm that it's going to be a problem but i think that's sort of the issue when i think about the best times where fitzpatrick has played it's generally longer courses and it's generally courses where you can run the ball up keep it low throughout the wind fast firm conditions we're not going to see that at all this week you're not running your ball up at sawgrass uh, no, not not this week. You are not with the the forecast that we we have. Yeah, they'll they'll try to run the sub air on the greens, but you're right. That does not necessarily um, play. That, that does nothing to the fairways. It does nothing to the areas in front of the green. So that is a a valid argument to make. Abraham answered the Mexican Allen Iverson is right below him in pricing. Two very good performances at the Players' Championship in his career, a 22nd and a 12th. He won at TPC Southwind a year ago for his first ever win. Has been a really good TPC player over the years. If you think there's any sort of correlation with that network of courses, he's done really well. Problem is, he's been piss poor in 2020. 
God, he's been horrible. Uh, I I do at least like him here more than most places because you mentioned it. You've got the you've kind of got the south wind conversation. He's top ten in driving accuracy, so playing out of the sh- the, the short grass, I think is going to be incredibly important. I'm just kind of hoping that he um, gets back to the form that we saw here last year and in 2019. Because if you do look at just the two year stretch of uh, results for golfers since we've gone back to March. I mean, Abraham answers near the top of the list. So I I'm, I'm okay taking this flyer, but I do not have any recent history to bank this one off. I think that I am going to go with answer here. I think that the ownership is going to allow you to use him as a bit of leverage, especially because this higher $7,000 range doesn't seem like it's going to be overly owned outside of Matthew Fitzpatrick because it's the lower sevens where a lot of people are gravitating towards to try to get those top end players into their lineups. I just like the success that he's had at Pete Dye courses, TPC courses, this course. I think he has the right skill set. If he can just bring his putter with him and he did at Genesis, although he couldn't drive it at Genesis and he couldn't chip it at Genesis. I will say that around the green play by and large is somewhat mitigated at this course because you can putt from off the green if you really want to. Yeah, for for sure. And um, we're we're looking back at longer term stuff for Abe answer and maybe that putter finds some uh, finds some some magic. But you're right there. There are some situations even on and around these greens where I start to think that the short game stuff is, is not nearly as important. Webb Simpson is, I guess, making his return to the golf course for the first time since the Sony Open in the second week of January. Tim has made him one of his three selections. So not only is he injured, he's also Andercursed. He tried to play in Phoenix and wasn't even close to being able to play. Inside sources reveal that they said he was going to be out a while. I don't like that he didn't play in any tournament before this. I think that... I've been trying to find head-to-heads, miscut props on web. Like, maybe he comes back to burn me. Sure, I don't think that he's right whatsoever. I tend to agree with you. I've heard similar from inside circles that I, I'm actually quite surprised he's he's still in the field and, and, and playing this week. Um, I don't like the fact that he hasn't played since the Sony Open. I don't like that even when he has played recently, it hasn't been good. I'm hopeful because I like Webb that the time that he took off was able to get him right and get him healthy because he's been dealing with kind of the neck. He's been dealing with a bunch of injuries, but I will not be remotely coming close to clicking Webb Simpson's name outside of those things that you mentioned, matchups against, fading him. Like There's just... I don't know how you could reasonably play him without just firing a dart. I am doing a season-long salary cap draft on fanteam.com. Everyone is eligible to come join me and come play in that, too. You just hit the description. Uh, you can find it. You can use code MMN when you make your deposit. It's 25 bucks to play. Uh, it's 5000 bucks to first place. Actually, it's 5000 yeho to first place. It was like 6000 bucks or something if you win it. Anyway, you draft a team this week for the players, and it's your team for the rest of the year. You get a chance to blow it up once. And I've been tinkering around with my team. And is Webb Simpson a guy that you would think about taking because you know that he won't appear on anyone else's roster? And you don't have to use him. You only play six of the 10 guys per week that you save him for like two months from now. Or is he someone you just pick up in two months time? I'll tell you what, I drafted Webb Simpson in our season long draft that we do at the beginning of the year. I don't think I've gotten a dime for him at this point, which is always a little bit concerning. But um, if you knew or could kind of just be hopeful that Webb is going to be healthy. There are a lot of really good spots for him still on the schedule. And I still, I still think it holds true that when Webb Simpson 
is healthy, he's one of the best players from fairway through green. Now he hasn't been healthy. So it's really hard to prognosticate on that Pat, because we're talking about health versus performance, but in general, I am probably more excited about Webb than most other people are. Yeah. So again, fanteam.com use code MMN and play in the season long contest. You'll get a free ticket into the players contest and a draw for a bunch of entries into their mega masters contest as well. And that's only if you use code MMN at fanteam.com. Check out the links in the description, whether you're in the U S or whether you're in Canada or international, there's two separate, you can use one link, but one of them directs you directly where you need to go. So you don't have to deal with any bullshit or anything like that. So fanteam.com code MMN. Does watching Luke List miss four-foot putts make you nauseous? Well, I got a solution. You got to check out Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. How it works is Relief Band stimulates the nerve in the wrist that travels to a part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. It's like the name says, it's legitimately a band you wear on your wrist to give yourself relief from nausea and you change the intensity depending on how you're feeling to make it stronger or weaker. It's that simple. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to the masses. I started wearing it and listen, it's been helping my hangovers in the morning, so that's what I can really go prove from my end of the situation. I my wife seems to be really enjoying it as well, so she feels much better in the morning too. Plus, the product is 100% drug-free, it's non-drowsy, provides all-natural, long-lasting relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. Relief Band makes a great gift for any time of the year, but right now, they've got an exclusive offer just for Pat Mayo Experience listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code MAYO, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. That's the best offer you'll find for Relief Band anywhere, but you gotta use my code. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code MAYO for 20% off plus free shipping. Max Homa is up next. I'm out on Max Homa this week. Oh, I'm in on Max Homa this week. I think um, this is a continued upward trajectory for Homa that we've seen for three years. He has been very good at just getting a little bit better all the time. We're seeing him drive it well. We're seeing his approach play really turn around outside of the API. He's putted well. If we can kind of marry all of that together, I think Homa uh, makes for a very interesting option this week. When he when he puts well, he he earns top 15s. And I, I love that upside, even if you don't get it all the time. Nothing against the guy, but this is where I have to start being very critical with my selections, and I need to cross players out of my player pool. Very poor bogey avoidance, bad at long par fours, and doesn't hit quite enough fairways that I'd rather a bit more safety in this range. So that's where I'm going. Leishman is $7,500, ranks 13th in the model that I ran over the past 36 rounds, which I found surprising, but very high in opportunities gained. He's top 20, top 20 in bogey avoidance, but you always have to worry with Mr. Leishman that he's not going to hit the fairway. The caveat I always make on Mark Leishman is I've never gotten him correct. I will not be playing him this week. You just nailed it. If you play out of this thick 
wet rough and everybody else is playing out. I just, I don't, I don't love it. And I always think that he gets a little bit more of a bump than he should. Cause everybody kind of likes him. And some of the, some of the metrics on approach and T to green have been solid. They've been good. Not great. I just, I will not be a part of the Leishman stuff this week. He's looking pretty svelte out there too. It looks like he's down like 25 pounds. Yes, I completely agree. Looks, uh, looks good. So good on you, Mark, but, uh, you will not, hopefully, uh, you will not win me any money this week. Maybe he's going to get real jacked. Like Gary Woodland looked like he was in great shape. And that's my theory that why he couldn't get out of that bunker. He just wanted to stay on the beach and show off his beach bod. That's a that's real, that, that makes real issue sense. for Gary. Yes. Uh, yeah. Jason Day is returning to the yeah. course. His mother passed away last week. He withdrew from the API. He's expected to return. No player has gained more strokes at the Players' Championship over the past five tournaments than Jason Day. He's a former Players' Champion. Uh, at one point, was one of the best Pete Dye players in the world. He has not quite been that guy. He's had one good tournament so far this year, and everyone was like, where are our Masters futures on Jason Day? I never get day right, so I'm just straight up not going to play him. But I think you can make a pretty compelling case. And I know that people will is the thing. It's not like day is going to be 2% owned. He just won't be because enough people love him every single week. Yeah, I love him too. He's a, he's a he's a great guy. I think that when you uh, look at what he's done over those five years that you mentioned and the results at TPC Sawgrass, I mean, it was a completely different version of Jason Day. He gained four strokes off the tee, four, three on approach he was gaining. I mean, it was just, it was phenomenal stuff. We're not really seeing that version of him right now. He's kind of losing it on approach on a consistent uh, basis off the tee, has not been nearly as sharp. The short game has been able to keep him in some of these events. So while I think he can plot his way around TPC Sawgrass better than most with the experience and the history. He is not nearly uh, as skilled of a golfer uh, now as he was um, even 12 months ago, in my opinion. All these players are projected to be in the single digits of ownership. However, Day projects to be the highest of Leishman and Homa, but not Russell Henley, who is $7,400. I only have him projected at 9%. I thought this number would be a lot higher. Yeah, can, can I designate between course history and course fit because course history around uh tpc sawgrass has been horrendous last three cuts he's missed uh t35 the year before that and then a missed cut in 2016 but on paper this should be a better spot for him pat he's such a he's such a great approach player he is you know so often playing out of the fairways 19th in driving accuracy i don't know if it's mental i don't know if it's random but i love the course fit hate the course history and i always like when it gets more difficult and when for Russell Henley. Listen, I don't think Russell Henley is going to win, but I can, every time that we look up, even if it was the U.S. Open last year, a week ago, you just pop up like, how the hell is, we haven't seen a shot from Russell Henley, but he's in seventh place right now. Yeah, and he is, um, you know what? He's had a couple of Sundays recently that have not necessarily uh, gone his way, but the fact that we noticed that those Sundays haven't gone his way means that Thursday through Saturday have. So I'm, I'm on the side of, fit over history here and i'd prefer henley over some of these other guys and think about where he has played well over the past two years obviously he's won the sony open which was one of my corollary courses t14 at the american express earlier this year t2 at sony both those were on it he should have won the wyndham championship last year and somehow he i don't think he made the six-man playoff but he was winning that for most of it plays the heritage really well you're right on paper it feels like there's no better fit than him out of like all of this mid $7,000 tier. I, I just don't get it. Like you will play him is what you're saying. The last time he missed a cut was the open championship last year. 
Yeah, I'd be I'd feel better, believe it or not, a guy off three straight missed cuts at this event. I'd feel better playing him than some of the other guys in this area just because I'm I think it's a bit of of outliers, the performances that he's had here. It's just he, he's too good and, and he fits too well. I'll, I'll take my chances. Why do you think that he is not 17 percent owned right now? Is it just the course um, history? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you look, everybody who's got a cheat sheet looks back and sees, you know, MC, 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 and then you look at maybe a Jason Day option, you look at maybe Paul Casey, who we're going to talk about, or Gary Woodland, I just think there are kind of these guys that people like playing instead of Russell Henley. Paul Casey is next. Uh, before the weekend, I thought he was going to be the highest owned guy and was the most mispriced guy. After what he did on the weekend at Bay Hill, that doesn't really appear to be the case anymore. Uh, he had two pretty good rounds going, couldn't make a putt. Classic Paul Casey. My current ownership projections have him at still hovering around 10%. Do you think he's over or under 10%? Under. Not by much, but I just I just think that people will see the 72nd and the people that rostered him probably <laughs> won't go back to him because they know specifically what happened. I think he went like 77, 81 or something outrageous on the weekend. And then you combine that with the fact that like he's already not a great putter and we've seen him blow up at times before. I, I just think you're not necessarily appealing to a bigger crowd in a range where these guys are um, usually more expensive, right? So people are kind of excited to get your your Gary Woodlands or whoever else is going to be down here. I just, I don't think there's a lot of uh, support for Paul Casey at the moment. The move was going to be play the 3% Sergio instead of the 17% Casey, but now it looks like they've normalized. It sucks. Now, yeah, that does, that does stink. I would have, I would have preferred that as well. <laughs> Sergio, I think is a very good play. He has an immaculate track record at this course. Look, course history doesn't matter as much, but we've seen him win here in great conditions. We've seen him come in second in great conditions. We've seen him come in second in bad conditions. We've seen him come inside the top 10 in bad conditions as well. And if you get anything out of his putter, I feel like you're, you're the big winner of the week which you kind of have recently, right? Going back to the Northern Trust, he was plus one, plus five, minus 0.1, minus one and a half, minus 0.3, plus 1.8, plus five. Any, any one of those. If you just penciled me in at random for any one of those putting results in his last seven or eight measured events, I would sign up for any of them right now. So uh, I, I agree with you, Pat. That's the secret code. It's his path to uh, a top 10. And I, I at least like the, the foundation that he's laying. Do you like him more than Gary Woodland, who has back-to-back -to -back top fives in Florida coming into the event? Yeah, and I just, I, I probably do. The Woodland stuff, uh, we're going to find out very quickly whether this is a flash in the pan or whether this is Gary being back. But I we have we have seen this before, right? He had a top five at the Wells Fargo, and then he kind of struggled again. And then he had those two good starts at the 3M Open and the Barracuda and kind of struggled again. It's just, uh, we have not seen a sustained stretch of solid golf outside of two events in a row for Gary Woodland. I, I'll take the side of he doesn't back it up with a third good one then more so than he does i was very prepared to not use him as i assumed after watching him maybe just leaving the shot in the bunker that just deterred too many people i figured both like he i guess there's just too many names that i thought were going to be popular and everyone's just deciding to go to their own corner with henley or sergio or casey or woodland uh, and they're all coming in around like seven to ten percent not 17 percent gravitating and just being all in one spot i got him at like seven percent ownership that might even be high right now i worry that this putting is unsustainable
because it is when you look at the numbers, but some lesser version of this putting with this chipping and ball striking, I have always like him at shorter courses versus longer courses. That's where he has historically done much better. I think I can talk myself into it. Maybe I'll just make the bet. Maybe I'll just make the bet and leave him alone on DraftKings and figure something else out. I feel like I like that a little bit more. I I do, you know, guys like uh, Woodlands, guys like Ricky Fowler, I worry about looking at, you know, his short course history of things. I just, I just worry he's not the same player anymore. I legit like legitimately that's my worry is it, it doesn't really matter anymore. And we're kind of grading him on a scale that might not be suited for him anymore. That's, that's my concern, quite frankly. It was an injury to his labrum in his hip. If he's actually recovered yeah. from that, I don't think there's a reason he can't get back. Obviously the year that he won the U S open, he played over his head. He's not that guy from that week. But he could be near the player that won the Valspar in the past and played really well at the Sony Open and these short courses. I think he's still that guy. He's not Ricky Fowler, who essentially freaky Friday'd with me in terms of golf talent. <laughs> uh, that the Ricky Fowler stuff, I know we don't have to talk about it. he's not even playing, but like it's an, it, it is it is fairly incredible the fact that he just lost the putter. Now he tries out a different flat stick every single week. It it, it the freaky Friday thing is honestly the most plausible um the most plausible explanation. Tommy Fleetwood is up next. No <laughs> one's using Tommy. He was a part of that contingent of chalk last year who ended up going home early. Did you take away any positives from his like pretty good performance at Bay Hill? No, he lost, he lost strokes in both ball striking categories, gained five and a half strokes putting, which is probably his best putting performance. Yeah. Fifth best putting performance ever. I, that you add it all up. I, I do not take away any positives from that. Right now we're into the 73s. We got Corey Connors and Cameron Tringale. I like Corey Connors. I do not like Cameron Tringale. Agree. Tringale, the driver concerns me. Connors, uh, you know, outside of that weird three event stretch would be much, a much better setup for this and uh, very reasonably priced. Yeah. No problem with that. It, uh, Connors over Tringale. Man, if Connors can just putt a little and by a little, I mean, lose like half a stroke putting instead of 10 strokes putting. He has the perfect game for this course. He really does. Yeah, and I, I, I am really there, there's only two years to work with, but there is there is at least a shred of evidence that the March greens that you get at this event are better for worse putters. So I'm gonna keep a close eye on that and continue to run the numbers, but I I'm hopefully foreshadowing that that Corey Connors is gonna have himself a, a, an okay putting week. I actually have Corey Connors the highest owned of these guys right now, more than Gooch even at this point. I don't know if that's a fantasy national thing or are you seeing the same kind of thing. I wouldn't expect him to be in double digits, but maybe he will be. He did play this tournament well last year. Yeah, I've got about 12.5% at the moment. It is just a, a situation where I think he's a, you know, he's a generally popular guy and he's safe and people play him a lot. And they come down here and they start looking at a range that includes, you know, Justin Rose and Ian Poulter, and they just start clicking Corey Connors' name. So maybe he comes in closer to nine or ten, but I think he will outpace most of these guys here. Let's talk about him. Former players champion. See. Kim, winner of the Wyndham Championship, winner at the American Express when three of those rounds were played at the stadium course, has killed Pete Dye courses over the year, has played very well at this course over the years. And here's the sneaky thing. He's playing some pretty good golf right now. Whew. Yes, I agree with you. The 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 team no putt 
aspect of this where he's kind of just been losing it all on the putting surfaces, but I love the way he's driving it as, as we're, you know, deep into this, you can realize, I think playing out of the short grass or gaining strokes off the tee is going to be really important this week. The specialist nature of him, not only on die courses, but the, the history around this one are all positives. And again, not a guy I get often, uh, often do I get correct, but I am more excited about Siwoo this time around than I have been for some other events here recently. All right, Siwoo, we're throwing him in. We're betting him to win at Siwoo's year. Hopefully two players counts as a major, and that way he doesn't have to go to the military next sometime next year. So that would be nice because I want more Siwoo Kim in my life. Rose and Poulter, you just brought them up. No. Maybe Poulter, but probably no. Probably out on both. Poulter's been playing fine. I doubt there is enough upside for Poulter compared to some of the other guys down here that you would be excited about him in a large, you know, uh, GPP of some type. I just, I don't see the upside there. Probably a pass on both. Jason Kokrak. Does that interest you? A little bit more exciting because his, his, his driver is a weapon and he's played well, a, a bit well in this Florida stretch. His stuff at Bay Hill uh, historically from last week was really good. He's got a top 10 at this event last year. He's made three cuts in a row. That's much more exciting to me than uh, the the Rose Poulter guys. Another guy who, much like Gary Woodland over the course of the past two years, has sneaky played well at short courses. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I mean, he is. And and legit winning, right? What's he got three wins in 18 months or something like that. Now it's a big ass to go from the Charles Schwab and that event that you won with Kevin Na to the players championship. Hey, he, he, like, he did. He did win the <laughs> CJ cup. I think, I think oh, that's it was right. Yeah. And that was against everyone. He ran down like Cantlay. at uh yeah, that was the one at shadow Creek. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah. Even better. He makes, makes the argument better for Kokrak. I love it. All right. Last of the players I have on the list. Will you use a 1% owned Patrick Reed? Boy, I don't want to get in trouble with any burner accounts online. So maybe I should say yes, but no, I mean, listen, it's not good. Whatever way you want to look at this, if you want to look at it from recent form, from uh, driving distance, from uh, the guys that he's priced next to the outright market, I think is even giving him too much respect. It's just, it's been horrible. It's been horrible. He switched clubs. That's probably part of it. There's just, it, there is no conceivable argument outside of this guy's one, I don't know, nine or 10 times, whatever he's up to. That's a legitimate, the only argument. And I don't think it holds an ounce of water in this situation. From the $7,000 to $7,200 range, it does appear by projections that the Gooch will be the highest owned, but not overwhelming. He's not going to push 20%. He'll be in like the 11 to 14 percent i think you also have chris kirk tom hoagie and alex noren drawing a lot of ownership along with cameron young i think those are going to be the popular guys from 7,000 to 7,200 uh i actually like hoagie and noren a ton i know i'm not alone on that but i do really like your guy lonto at 7k I'll tell you what, I don't mind Lonto either. And I think we've talked about this before. When Lonto goes really well, there, there's there's two things. It's his approach play and it's his putting. And when both of those go together, he runs very, very hot. So you can kind of see him pop at times. And if you go back the last year or year and a half, some of his finishes, some of his top tens are in some of these invitational, better field events. I don't mind Lonto at all. You mentioned um, Cam Young, though, Pat. That's probably... 
my favorite guy because he's he's just driving it so well. He's playing in some of these bigger events against better golfers, and he's piling up top 20 finishes. I, I really like the talent that Cam Young has to offer. So I will be playing Lonto. I'll play Norin, probably Hoagie, and then I'm going to take some shots. I still like Seamus Power. He's $7,200. Yeah, he had a bad go of it at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Uh, but in terms of bogey avoidance, he's been good. This is the sort of course that I wanted him to play. All I wanted was for him to play bad at API so I could get a better number on him. We got good pricing. If this had been a month ago, he'd be 8100 bucks and he'd be super popular. And maybe his game has left him. I don't know, but I'm going to take the chance on him. I'll take the chance on Luke List at $7,200 and pray he doesn't lose three and a half strokes per round on the greens, which, you know, is possible. When you use Luke List, as I mentioned on Monday's show, that's gonna happen from time to time. And I think if we're just taking like 2% flyers, give me Kevin Kisner here. You are literally not exaggerating with that Luke List number, which is bonkers to think about. Um, yeah, Kisner, Kisner's okay for 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 flyers. I mean, the popular guy in this range is Chris is Chris Kirk, right? Yeah, Chris Kirk and Gooch. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes, that makes the most sense. So um, even, even Keith Mitchell and Kevin Kisner as kind of your flyers, I'm, I'm generally okay with Mitchell is, you know, they do it a little bit differently, both, um, you know, Kisner, you're just hoping plays out of the fairway can get the hot putter can play the fives as, as three shotters. And then Mitchell, you're hoping that he continues to make those big gains off the tee and the slight gains on approach. And he continues to play well in Florida. So those are a couple of dart throws at the lower seven K's that are certainly viable from Sixty-five dollars to $7,000. This is where I'll probably be ending a lot of... I'm going to use two guys from this range to end a lot of my lineup because I want access to that very high end because I don't want to make too many decisions between Rom, Morikawa, and Victor. I want to play two of those guys together a lot of the time, which will diminish my exposure to the 9K range. Joel Damon is the one that sticks out like a sore thumb for me. And I was on fairway rolling with House and Nathan Hubbard yesterday, Mark Hubbard's brother, and he told me that the moment that they ended the Genesis... Damon went to San Diego and he's just been taking putting lessons. So the approach has never been a problem for him in his two starts here. He was five strokes, gained tee to green a year ago, lost more than that on the greens. If he can just figure out the putter, give me windy conditions. He's fine in windy conditions. I love hearing a guy who knows his weaknesses and just spends a bunch of time working on it. Believe it or not on the tour, that's not always the case. Okay. I could be talked into uh, Joel Damon. Certainly. I think there's a couple of guys that stand out. The logical ones are at the top. It's Brian Harmon. Who's got two straight top tens in the two years since going back to March. It's Keegan Bradley. Who's your total driving guy team. No putt. But if you really want a deep flyer here, Pat, I'm not, opposed to Bo Hostler, a couple of top 20s coming in. I've been talking about this path to success at TPC Sawgrass through the par fives, and Hostler has played these par fives uh, better than most guys in this field in the last five or six years. I think he's like 10th in par five scoring here. So I think there's a couple of ways that you can get there. Fives is one of them, and if that's so, if Hostler can avoid avoid the big number, I don't mind it. I like Hostler more than I like Harmon. I just never really want anything to do with Brian Harmon, despite his success here <laughs> and success at Pete Dye courses uh, over the course of his career, too, because he's been quite excellent. I gave Brendan Todd a look, but Mito Pereira at 6,700, best in the field over the past 36 rounds from 450 to 500 yard par fours, 10th in bogey avoidance, and he comes in streaking really well. I thought he was going to be super popular. Not the case. 
Yeah, so we're seeing um, we're seeing those ball striking gains again. So when when he came up with that that battlefield promotion last year, he was one of the best ball strikers first like thirty rounds out, and then he lost it. And he was just making a bunch of gains with the putter. And we're like, well, what version of of Mito are we actually getting here? And we're starting to get the ball striking version again, which I think is much more sustainable, much more exciting, and much better when you get on like hard Florida golf courses where you want to be playing out of the right spots. Sixty five hundred dollars. Let's go north of the border where I am right now. Obviously, he's not. He's in Florida. It's Adam Hadwin. $6,500. I've brought him up on basically every show so far. You want safety in terms of fairway? He's going to be playing out of the fairway. And we've seen with his putter, it's either like plus three or minus three. We've seen him win in Florida. He had gained strokes in approach on four consecutive starts before going to Riviera, a course where you don't expect a short hitting player like him to really have a lot of success with his irons when that's not the one thing you do well. He's done really well at the corollary courses on the back end. He's $6,500. There is a path where he finishes like T4 this week with the putting that he can bring here. And he's had some nice run at the 3M as well. Another course with water everywhere. Yeah, I, I love the DNA of Adam Hadwin, and you kind of alluded to it there. He kind of plays well on the courses that you think he should, and he kind of plays poorly on the courses that you also think he should play <laughs> poorly on. So this, I would say, is uh, on the good side of the scale. You you listed out the corollaries, and you listed out uh, the strengths that he can pop with. So yes, I I think this is better than uh, average setup for him, and at 6500 bucks, not that you necessarily need the salary cap relief, but it gives you a lot of flexibility ability to do basically anything you want anyone else from 65 to 7,000 that you think is worth mentioning uh I'm still a sucker for Aaron Wise at 6,600 bucks who is just gonna go back to losing four strokes I guess with even the new putter but uh, I think it was him Rom and maybe Victor who led the field in tee to green or ball strike in one of those categories last week but it is uh it's horrible on the putting surfaces but I've, I've got to I've got to support Wise through Florida, and then I can kind of reassess this later. Hey, has played well at hard courses, windy courses, and Florida courses in the past. It makes some sense. Yeah, I was hoping he was going to pick off one of those events in the in the fall portion of the schedule where the putter had really started to figure itself out. I'm I'm less optimistic now, but uh, I still like what I see from Tita Green, and I've, I've got to give him at least one more go around. $6,500 and below. Obviously, you don't need to go down here while constructing your DraftKings lineups. The big difference, though, between the players and the other top-end tournaments, be it WGCs, be it majors, obviously in the WGC, it's hard to use these guys because there's no cut line. That they're all, unless they pop up inside the top five, then they all have essentially the same value, which is not worth it being in your optimal lineup. Now, if you go to a cut event that actually has more equity, because they're one of these guys is going to wildly outscore everyone else and outscore a lot of guys ahead of them because they're going to be playing the weekend and the other guys will not be. At the major championships, you get these guys who are just absolute jabronis at the bottom of the field amateurs, PGA professionals. 90-year-old men, whatever it might be. These are real guys that are down here this week. I think some of them are viable. And as much as I don't love it, Denny McCarthy is viable for this event. Uh, yeah, I don't mind Denny McCarthy. He's kind of the first guy that my that my eyes went to. We know what a great putter he is, and he's experienced, and he's not going to necessarily blink, and he's got kind of that top 25 upside. I um the other one that feels super dirty that I was looking at is JT Poston, who's way down there. He's 61. I love him. T22 each of the past two years. 
that you throw that in and like his season long stats are very, very skewed. He missed his first five or six cuts of the season. It was really ugly. Since then he's gotten back on track. He's gauged strokes off the tee every event of 2022, which I, I think is a real thing, Pat. Cause a lot of, a lot of what happens is these guys struggle to start off the season. They go home for that five weeks off. They get with their coach. They figure it out. When you see things change at the start of the calendar year, that's a real sign of the work that some of these guys have put in. You're seeing that with JT Poston right now and you combine it with the the back-to-back top 25s that you mentioned here. And just think about where he's done all of his best work on the PGA Tour. The Wyndham, the Heritage, the Sony, and this course. Yeah, it's perfect. 6,100 bucks near min. The Postman. And think about what you can do with Postman in your lineup. You could also do the same thing with KH Lee at $6,300. He's been finding fairways like a maniac, and he is Mr. TPC. That is true. I've heard his nickname is TPC Lee instead of KH Lee. But yes, um, yeah, I, I agree with you that there are this week more than most, as you mentioned, uh, these are viable options and the soft, you could stack, my God, the, the, the names that you could put into your lineup by playing a JT Poston or a KH Lee or someone of that nature is scary, scary stuff. Pendrith is the last one that I really wanted to talk about at $6,200. He just continues to be the homeless man's Cam Young. They do exactly the same things well. It's just Pendrith does them less often. Yeah, I hope, and, and it's still very early for him. He's going to grow into this career. and We're going to learn a lot more about him. But yeah, it's a very similar style of golf to Cam Young. And you're seeing how that's working out for Cam Young right now. So just got to clean up some of the big numbers for Pendrith because he can absolutely move the ball it's it's oh my god it's it's fascinating out there but yes if he could get any closer to cam young that'd be beneficial for his career uh, i should almost project that hudson swafford is going to win this event now because i've used him each of the past two weeks and i think he's a combined 39 over par in those events yeah, Swap Daddy's had a pretty bad run since since the win, which um, you know, luckily that was that was good and financially great for me. But outside of that, there have been better setups, I believe, since the victory, and he hasn't been all that good. And um, yeah, I, I worry about like a lot of the facets of this game right now. Player by player, twenty twenty two players championship. We motored through this. It doesn't uh, feel like it, yeah, we but did. we got to like a hundred <laughs> players. That's not that's not bad. That's great work. Yeah, we, we we knocked it out of the park. That's the review. No one say anything different. We knocked it out of the park. There are less than a thousand spots remaining in the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League on DraftKings. Have you got your spot in my league yet, Rick? Uh, no, I have not, but I will do that right now because I do not want to be on the outside looking in for what I imagine is the best contest on DraftKings. It is, shockingly enough, the best tournament on DraftKings. $75,000 guaranteed of rake-free money. We get this filled by, like, the time we start the live chat tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern time with me and Tambo in studio taking your questions on Mayo Media Network. Subscribe to that, by the way. Probably get 100 k guaranteed for the Masters. Who doesn't want rake-free... It blows my mind that this isn't the first contest to fill every single week. Who doesn't? Who hates rake-free money? Maybe people who own stock in DraftKings are trying to help with the price and are willing to pay it. But I do not like the rake, and I love rake-free contests. So you, I don't know who else. Are you saying that I am the reason that the stock price has tanked? Because that's hurting me financially, you know. <laughs> Trust, trust me, brother. I'm with you. I'm with you there. We're not in a good spot. No, I mean, I, I've lost a million bucks on my YouTube channel this year. This isn't good. Yeah, it's good. All right. That will do it. Rick, what do you got going on this week? What's yet to come on the Rick Run Good YouTube channel? 
yeah, live chat on Wednesday, and um, I will release a new podcast, 300 Yards to Unknown, on Thursday. That'll be out in both audio, video formats. And then on Friday, a live show at 12 p.m. Eastern time, which will look into live odds and round-by-round matchups and props and things like that. So it should be a great week, Pat. I assume we're going to be able to see every single shot and di- dissect the film. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. You know what's going to happen that like these lightning storms are going to knock out some tower and we get no coverage or something. And then they'll knock out the shot link tower as well. We won't even get the stats. It's going to be horrendous. Yeah, just have people <laughs> shouting into a phone. Shot one to fairway. Oh, great. Fantastic news. Hope it's a birdie. Ugh. But yes, I will be back with Tambo live in studio, 12 p.m. Eastern time on Mayo Media Network. The Run Pure Sports Crew is going to have Thursday night, Friday night free showdown plays live on Mayo Media Network as well. So we have you covered every single week. Two more newsletters to come. Tuesday night and Wednesday night, and we'll have projected ownership. If you've been following along with the newsletter, you know that there's new information in there every single night. So please go subscribe to that right now. Uh, you just hit the description. You can find the link to it. Or if you just go to Substack, type in Mayo Media, you can find it for free up there. You can even read it and not subscribe if you really don't want to. But if you want more info, you can do that. Plus, I'm giving away bucks, 100 bucks to those in, in terms of a draw. Not every single person who does it, who rates and reviews the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast on Apple podcast or spotify so please go help us out over there smash the like on the way out the door sub to the channel and that will do it for me for rick we'll see you next time mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement whether mom's into classic dress watches rare and refined ceramics or tried and true bestsellers Movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.